men are commanded to give their lives, to serve their wives in love and to restrain that power they have over us. But he looks at us and says, you have power over your husband to manipulate him and control him. And I'm asking you to restrain that power you have over him by submission. Hey, hey, welcome to the Live Like It's True podcast, where we talk through some of the most astonishing stories in the Bible and how to live like those stories are true. I'm your host, Shannon Popkin, and my hope is that these conversations will inspire you to better know the story, share the story, and live the story. Do you ever struggle with control? And do you sometimes feel like taking control is noble, like it's the right thing to do? Do you think like, if I don't do something here, the whole world is going to come unhinged? If that's you, I can relate. (laughs) But I can also relate if you're feeling like your inner control girl has caused you some regret and heartache. We have Kelly Needham back today to talk about the desire to control my husband. But I want to say right off the bat that uh, if you don't have a husband, this episode is still for you. This can be a problem, this desire for control, uh, whether you're married or not. And before we have Kelly join us, I wanted to share a couple of discoveries that God has opened my eyes to, which all started with understanding the verse that we're going to be talking about from Genesis 3, uh, verse 16. So I never realized that I had any control issues before I got married and had kids. I distinctly remember the day that I was standing in my kitchen and I I said to my husband, I was always so cheerful and carefree before I met you. I seriously thought he was the problem. And it wasn't until about a decade later that I realized that I had a problem. I was driving in the car one day, I was listening to Dee Breston on the radio, and she was talking about how there are these surface level sins in our life that we know and we recognize and which are being fed by some underlying sin um, that we're often blind to. And as she was talking about anger, I was inwardly nodding. Yes, I was well aware that I had an anger problem. I was reading books about anger and keeping prayer journals and asking God, help me to stop blowing up at my husband and my kids. But then Dee talked about how our anger is sometimes being fed by this underlying desire for control. Now, this was new to me. I started wondering, like, was my anger rooted in this desire for control, I decided to kind of test out the idea. So every time I would feel the anger rising inside of me, I would ask, okay, Shannon, is there something that you are trying to control here or something that you feel like you're losing control of? And more often than not, yes, my anger was being fueled by control. I also noticed that my fear was being fueled by control, you know, this fear of not being able to control my circumstances or the outcomes in life. Also, my anxiety was being fueled by control, you know, being anxious over the unknowns in the future and my perfectionism. I was trying to control my surroundings um, and my outcomes in life by driving myself to extremes. 
I, I struggled with all of these things, you know, the, the anxiety, fear, perfectionism, and anger, but mostly anger. And interestingly, I never got much traction with my anger issues until I started dealing with this underlying desire that I have for control. It was like I was trying to pick off the bad fruit in my life without digging up the root of the problem. So it was around the same season in life, about 10 years or so into marriage, that I heard a sermon about Genesis 3, 16, the verse that we're going to talk about here. This is the part of the story from Genesis 1 through 3 that comes right after Adam and Eve have eaten the fruit and they've sewed their little coverings together. And then God comes looking for them in the garden and he asks, Adam, where are you? Have you eaten of the tree that I commanded you not to? And to Eve, he says, what is this that you have done? And then God spells out Eve's consequences. He says, from now on, she's going to have pain in childbearing. And then he says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. So in in the sermon, Pastor John Piper explained that this desire, this word for desire, it was a desire for control. Eve had taken control by reaching for the fruit, and now she would have this craving to control everything, starting with her husband. I remember that as I was listening to the sermon, I was, I was painting the laundry room, and I remember just standing on the side of my, of my ladder as, as Pastor John Piper explained that my consequence as a woman was this desire to control everybody. I stood there with paint dripping off my paintbrush. I was thinking like, well, no wonder I'm trying to control my husband and my kids, my friendships, everything. I am a daughter of Eve living under the burden of her consequences. For me, it was like being diagnosed with this degenerative disease that had been passed on from generations back. Suddenly, all of my symptoms made sense. And so I thought, Well, if I have inherited this struggle as a daughter of Eve, surely if I go to my Bible, I'll find other daughters of Eve who had similar struggles. So I began at the beginning, combing through the pages of my Bible, looking for other control girls, wondering, you know, could I learn some lessons for them? Could I, could I understand this situation better by looking at God's perspective on their lives? And it turns out I did find some other control girls in the Bible. Ultimately, that study of God's Word became my Bible study titled Control Girl, Lessons on Surrendering Your Burden of Control from Seven Women in the Bible. And the seven women that I studied were Eve, Sarah, Hagar, Rebecca, Leah, Rachel, and Miriam. And that list is by no means complete. Uh, I just ran out of room in the book (laughs) to include any more control girls. Uh, But as I studied these women in the Bible and looked in on their lives, I realized that they were all doing what I was trying to do. They were trying to grab for or hold on to control based on the the small-minded perspective that they had of their own lives, and they were making everybody miserable in the process, themselves included. And the only way that these women ever found the, the peace and security and joy that they were looking for because isn't that really what we want? You know, when, we, when we're trying to grab for control, don't we want peace? Don't we want security? Don't we want joy? The only way they found these good gifts is when they did the opposite of taking control, but instead laid it down in surrender before God. So as we head into this conversation with Kelly Needham, let me ask, 
Do you see any signs of this consequence in your life? Any anger, any anxiety, any fear or perfectionism that might be rooted in an unhealthy desire for control? Could this verse explain some of the symptoms that you have noticed in your life? Thanks for letting me share a little bit of my heart behind that book, Control Girl. And we will link to that book along with the free leader materials and the free bonuses that we have available for you. You can find all of those links in the show notes. I would love for you to consider that book for your next uh, group Bible study or personal study. I'm delighted to have my friend Kelly Needham back. You'll recall that Kelly uh, was a guest earlier in this series. Uh, We talked about male and female, and that was such a fabulous episode. You won't want to miss that one. If you did, we'll, we'll put a link for it in the show notes along with other resources so that you can find Kelly. Kelly teaches the Bible at her home church in Texas, and she co-leads a women's teaching program. She's the author of Friendish and also an upcoming book called Purpose Fooled, Why Chasing Our Dreams, Finding Our Calling, and Reaching for Greatness Fails Us in What We're Really Meant to Live For. Kelly and her husband, Jimmy, are the hosts of a brand new podcast called Clearly. They say, if it's complex, confusing, or controversial, it's covered here. So you're going to want to check out their brand new podcast, Clearly. Kelly, welcome back to Live Like It's True. Thanks, Shannon. Happy to be here, as always. Well, we're just bringing you on just to talk about this really important verse in our origin story in Genesis. And, you know, you've been with us along the way as we've been talking about all these things. You know, you shared something on your church's website that I thought was so helpful about uh, these differences that we see in gender, well, within marriage, where men and women are, um, they're not trying to complement each other in the way that we were originally designed, but we're more at odds with each other. And so let me read this verse, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on what what is God saying to you? These are the consequences being played out for reaching for that fruit. Um, and God's, mm-hmm. God says to Eve, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for or contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. I kind of slipped in both of the ESV translations in the past, and it's kind of been updated um, there. So what does this mean? Like, I think we're, we're pretty clear on the pain in childbearing. Um, and if you were with us for our first episode, Nancy Guthrie just expanded on like, this is not just pain in bearing children, but this is pain that travels through the life of a child, uh, or mothering, you know, through the life of your child, there's just pain in all of that. But, but let's focus on this next phrase, you know, God is saying to Eve, your desire shall be for your husband, or it'll be contrary to your husband, but he will rule over you. What are your thoughts Mm -hmm. on this? What's, what's going to happen here? Well, I think in that, that second part of that verse, what you're seeing is our desires are now malformed, that that's part of the consequence uh, that this is this is a judgment happening, being passed down because of sin. And so we know that for him to say your desire is about to be something, that what he's about to say is not how it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, that our desire is in contrast; it is opposed um, to our husband. Now, what does that exactly mean? There's a lot of debate. Does that mean uh, 
contrary to the person of our husband, to his role. Um, I don't know exactly, but there is meant to be within marriage a partnership and a unity. And we know that there are different roles that each play, and those are meant to be embraced with joy. But here we see that there's a desire happening that is in contrast to something that is going to cause opposition. Um, and then there's this but that that opposition that he will rule over you. And we know that God has entrusted a unique type of leadership to men. And I think you see it even in Genesis and that the command of not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not given to Eve. It is given to Adam before Eve is created. And so there is some entrusting of a stewardship of God's word and a type of passing on of that authority to Adam that's unique that Eve doesn't get that he has a stewardship, a responsibility that she does not have in that. And even he names Eve. So there's types of authority mm-hmm. we see given in him um, to Eve. And before the fall, a willing reception of those expressions of leadership from Adam in Eve. And what we know is that that changes after the fall, that there is the butting of heads. Mm-hmm. There is contrast. And um, I think we all feel that in our marriages today, in our relationship with our spouses, that men want to generally abdicate that role of authority or misuse it in harmful ways. And we tend to not want to receive that authority. We want to spurn it Mm -hmm. and sometimes take over. And I think that all those things are the seedbed of those is here in this verse in Genesis 16, um, that our desires are now misshapen. They are not as they should be, especially as it relates to who we're married to. Mm, so good. Yeah, we see in Genesis 4, 8, um, just the next chapter, we see these same words used. Uh, and so it, it kind of helps to clarify. God is talking to Cain and God says, Cain, its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. So the, the same words, desire and ruling over. And so it's, you, know, you just kind of picture sin is crouching at the door. It's, you know, God is saying, watch out sin. It's crouching. It's desirous for you. It wants to pounce. It wants to, you know, take over your life. Um, and if sin has its way, you're going to commit murder and your whole life is going to change. You're going to be consumed by this desire that's crouching at the door. And so if we take that meaning of its desire is for you, you know, and then the ruling over it is like, you would be knocking that you know, that animal, that crouching animal, like, no, you're not going to let it rule over you. You're going to take rise up. Well, if we take the meaning of those words back to what God is saying here to Eve, um, we see like sin has a desire. Sin has a desire, Cain. It wants to control you. If I insert my name, you know, Shannon has a desire here, Ken. <laughs> she wants to control you. You know, sin has a desire. It wants to control Cain. Shannon has a desire. She wants to control her husband. Like that is in me. And I don't know about you, but I, I didn't really, I didn't see that come out until I was married. Um, I mean, maybe in little ways, but after mm-hmm. we got married, I mean, it was just this inflamed desire. Like I wanted to control every little thing about, mm-hmm. and, and mostly the most unimportant things, you know, I like know. <laughs> <laughs> we had all sorts of arguments about stupid little things. Like 
you know, there was this lamp and I always wanted it placed in the middle of a table. Well, he would pull the lamp over where he, it would fall on his reading material. I mean, you know, (laughs) horrors of all horrors that (laughs) he wanted to actually use the lamp, but we would just have this tug of war over the lamp. It would be little things, but it became like, I wanted to control him. And, you know, for me, like I mentioned earlier, understanding this verse, this desire that I had, it was like being diagnosed with Mm -hmm. this degenerative disease, like something, okay, my symptoms make sense. No wonder I am a daughter of Eve. Um, I have this consequence being played out in my life. Mm -hmm. I have this desire, you know, to that's, it's a a desire against my husband. It's uh, subverting his authority in our marriage. Um, Mm -hmm. I want to be the one to be in control of every little thing. And it's causing a lot of chaos. A hundred percent. And I think, I don't know one, I don't know one married person, one married woman who doesn't resonate with that and feel that temptation. Um, I think that not only do we have a desire to control our husband's we actually know pretty well how to do it. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, you know, my favorite, I quote this all the time, and it's just so great, right? My big fat Greek wedding. What a oh. great movie. <laughs> Where she, the mom says to, you know, to the daughter who's worried about her dad, who's, is he going to agree with this decision or not? She says, he may be the head, but the woman is the neck. <laughs> and the neck can turn the head whichever way she wants. <sighs> and what's funny about that, the reason we all laugh at it is because we know there's truth in it. Mm-hmm. And you see that. I, I love pointing out ways it shows up in the scriptures too, right? John the Baptist is beheaded, not because of Herod, but because of Herod's wife who manipulates right. him and knows all his weaknesses, mm-hmm. knows that if he's with his friends and he makes a commitment, he'll hold to it because he cares about his image. And so she manipulates the situation get what she wants through him. And we know how to do that really well. Yeah. And it's good to just look at each other and admit it and go, it's yep. So true. Yeah. If you look at my book, Control Girl, what I did was I looked at seven women in the Bible. I thought, okay, here we have Eve's story and this consequence being given to her. And if I want to you know, surely if I look at other daughters of Eve, if I now am playing out these consequences in my own life, surely we can go back to the beginning and look at these earliest daughters of Eve and trace this in their lives and find maybe some lessons, some things to avoid, some God's perspective on all of it. And and sure enough, like page after page after page, um, as I studied through Eve, Sarah, Rebecca, uh, Leah, Rachel, uh, Miriam, all of their lives, they're just, they're trying, especially in their marital relationships, they're trying to pounce like that animal. They want to be the one who is in control. They've got this, this idea of how it all should go. They are the neck (laughs) trying to turn. And, and I love that you said it's, it can be we know, we know those little ways to slip in. I always say I can control my husband with little sounds. They're little like sighs, like, or, or (laughs) like those little, little bitty sounds. That's all. That's like me being the neck, like turning his, his way. Um, And you had a quote. (laughs) Yes. And you had a quote by Elizabeth Elliot that I thought was so helpful. Can you share that one with us also? Yes, I would love to. It's about this uh, power. She calls it, what we're talking about. She calls it a type of power that we have over men. Uh, they have power over us. They have things. Uh, they are stronger than us, right? There is a type of almost brute force that is that they can wield against women. And we see 
in, you know, people post fall, we see that happening, but women, we have our own power over men and the command in the new Testament to submit, she would say is to restrain that power. So let me read this quote. She says, as man's power over woman is restrained by love, woman's power over man is restrained by the command to submit. Any woman knows that she has ways of getting her own way. It is not physical strength that is most powerful. It is not the ability to deal with high-level abstractions. She may be as intelligent as or more intelligent than her husband, and she may be more gifted than he is. Whether this is the case or not, she also has wiles, emotional power, and she has sexual power. These must be restrained. The kind of restraint God asks of her is submission. Mm-hmm. I just love how she says those commands in the New Testament given in our marriage are to help restrain our sinful tendencies toward one another, that men are commanded to give their lives, to serve their wives in love and to restrain that power they have over us. But he looks at us and says, you have power over your husband to manipulate him and control him. And I'm asking you to restrain that power you have over him by submission. It's actually a mutual command we're given of restraint toward one another so that we can re-enter as believers to try and relive what we were meant to be at first, a partnership together, complementary to one another, um, but working together for a greater good than just fighting each other. Mm, That is so good. So what's the definition there of submission? It's to restrain the power that we would have over. Over men. That's right. Mm -hmm. It restrains those unique powers of womanhood that we exert over our men. I love that. And I love too, that the instructions to the wives in the new Testament, when, you know, we'll have these, these pairing of instructions that wives are to submit to their husbands and husbands are to love their wives. But have you noticed that the instruction to the wife always comes first, Mm -hmm. which is a reversal. If you look at it from a leadership perspective, but Mm -hmm. I think it's really hard for a, a husband to lead well, you know, and to, uh, to perform his role in the marriage if he has an unsubmitting wife. And so mm-hmm. unless unless we're willing to harness our ability to manipulate, undermine, control, mm-hmm. unless we're willing to, um, to lovingly put a harness on that for the flourishing, not only of ourselves, but our marriages and our children and the way that our marriage is meant to represent God in the world. Like we each of our homes are little sub churches. We're little communities that are meant to share the the gospel with the world. And if a controlling woman can just tear all of that apart, like mm-hmm. just shred that, that beautiful imaging of God that you and I talked about in our last episode, mm-hmm. like we have both the power um, to create, to image God well, but we have the power to tear it down as well. That's right. And it's really tempting use that power. I mean, and we feel really justified and the world gives us every justification to do so. And so it is, it's very tempting. It's very challenging, but we do remember, I do this. I restrain, not just, I restrain my power toward my husband, not just for his sake, but for God's sake, that like you said, I am an image bearer. I am representing him to the world and his glory is on the line and it matters. And that helps me so much more than even just thinking, this is good for my husband. It, it is good for mm-hmm. him. Yeah. But I think I need a stronger uh, power behind uh, me to fight that temptation than just even 
the husband in front of me. Yeah. I think to then see Christ, see his glory, his kingdom behind that. And that's at stake is so much more fuel for me to put that to death when it's hard and go, no, I will restrain myself and these powers that I have for the sake of the glory of God and the way that I image him in my marriage. Um, and it will be a blessing to my husband. And I love him. He's mm-hmm. a good gift to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And I'm thankful for him. And um, it, it takes a, it's hard to do. Yeah, it is. One woman that this is not hard for, but it does get easier with practice. And then it we does. see fruitfulness come and blessing and joy and that partnership return Mm. back to what we talked about in the last episode with Genesis we're to rule and reign and fill the earth with the glory of God together together and we get to do that the more that we restrain those powers we have over each other yes it's so good um so in this story that we're looking at this origin story we have Eve you know with the one who was given the instruction about the true tree at her side, she reaches out, she takes the fruit. She really takes control for her family. She makes a, a big decision for her family. And then Ray Ortland says that this consequence got is a measure for measure response from God to Eve. Like mm-hmm. you're going to take control. I'm going to allow you to become controlling. Mm-hmm. And so as we live these, I call them control girl, these control girl mm-hmm. lives, trying to control ourselves and everybody else and make it all turn out right. Like we have the right perspective. And and like you just said, our culture celebrates women rising mm-hmm. up and taking control. Um, right. But if, if we live as though this isn't the consequence, but this is this is the right story, so much harm that we can do. So Kelly, how can we live like it's true that this is a consequence to try and control our husband is the consequence, Mm -hmm. but uh, that the truer, better story uh, is the story of a wife harnessing the power that she has over her husband, but instead uh, submitting and breathing life into this marriage mm-hmm. by um, by not controlling her, her husband, but submitting to him. How can we live like yeah. that's true? Do you have any personal examples? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, a ton. Oh my gosh. Uh, this is a problem in my life as probably every wife. But um, I think that the way that I fight for living like this is true most frequently is how I talk to myself. And and how I frame this battle for my own heart, Mm. that it's really tempting internally when you, essentially, this is what it feels like. I look at my husband and how he's doing things and go, I know how to do it better. (laughs) And sometimes I actually do. And sometimes it's just a preference, but I see that and I counsel my heart sometimes by just saying, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's so dumb. He's not thoughtful. He, how could he this? And I, I justify this desire, this desire that's contrary and and wants to take over. I justify it. I noblize it. Mm -hmm. I tell myself ways that this is actually for the good of our kids or our family or something else. And I, I talk to myself in a way that I'm making it right and a good desire and I'm validating myself. And so the way that I, I fight for truth is to, when I see this, when God starts to prick my heart with that conviction to go, no, I need to tell myself the real story mm-hmm. that my grasp of control and dominion and reign right now over things that they are usually small is not a desire that is birthed out of godliness. Mm-hmm. It is this age old passed down sinful tendency in me that is contrary to my husband, that is a controlling thing that is not good. And I'm going to tell myself 
that. And I'm going to use my journal to do that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Just, God, this is what I feel today. My husband took over paying the bills and he, I see them coming in and they just sit there, you know, or whatever thing I'm tempted to just reach for, or he's mm-hmm. doing this in the house or with the kids. There's a way to address that. That's not controlling, right? There's a way to talk about these things with my husband that is respectful and honoring. But when I'm not doing that, I Lord in my journal, I'm sorry. I am reaching for control. I'm manipulating and I am using my emotions and my mm-hmm. husband's emotions. And I am using passive aggressive mm-hmm. postures physically yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and how affectionate or not affectionate I am sexual things yeah. sometimes and just refusing advances all of those things God do not honor you I'm going to tell my heart the truth about that desire and not let it be justified and sometimes I have to do that with friends and well-meaning family members who would validate me and say no I, I don't think it's true that this is good I need to repent of that And if there is something to address, I need to address it with respect and honor, not manipulation. Um, But that's, that's how I'm fighting to live. This is I I try to tell my heart the real story Mm. um, to tell my heart what is true and counsel my heart in the right direction, Mm. fight back those worldly messages that I, I get all the time. Yeah. So good, Kelly. Um, I often say that if you want to reverse this, um, you know, this consequence in your own life, start with your tongue, because one of the ways that we most often try to control our husbands is with our tongue or our children or other people. Mm-hmm. It's within um, James compares, uh, you know, says to bridle our tongues, you know, compares it to a horse with a, with a bit in his mouth or a ship with a rudder. And so like, mm-hmm. if you want to go in a different direction in your whole life, it, it, it starts with little words, little comments, little sighs, mm-hmm. little eye rolls. But I love yeah. that you talked about the words that we speak to ourselves first, because really the ways that I'm speaking about my husband in my head, mm-hmm. <laughs> all, you know, and like, I, I remember when my kids were little, I would spend the whole day complaining about him in, in my head. And then he mm-hmm. would walk through the door. He didn't do anything. Yep. And I was, it was just an <laughs> avalanche of criticism and disrespect. Right. And I, I didn't even, I, he was like, what? I didn't even do anything yet. What is <laughs> what's going on here? And if, and I, I didn't like that about myself. And so what I noticed mm-hmm. is I had to go back to the moment when I found the whiskers in the sink, you know, just bothered mm-hmm. me so much. Mm-hmm. And, and in that moment to, instead of like, Oh, here they are, he does, ew, you know, like instead mm-hmm. of saying those things about him or even in my head saying, you know, my husband is a good kind provider. He's a good daddy. He's a loving husband. I respect him and I am happy to serve him by cleaning up the sink here in this moment. Mm-hmm. That is, that was the rudder that I needed so that when he walked in the door at the end of the evening, um, I had to back up and change all of the things that I was saying about him and in my head until I faced the moment that I was saying something to him. Uh, yeah. So, man, this is such a, um, I think it's a topic we don't talk about enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't often hear people talking about control. They don't call themselves controlling. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, that's not a word we use to describe ourselves. Right. I've, I don't think I've ever been in a Bible study group where somebody said, please pray for me. I'm a controlling woman. We don't, you know, we don't <laughs> use this. We don't talk about this topic enough, but I love that you kept calling us to like, let's counsel our hearts with the true story. And then mm-hmm. let's live like it's true. Let's live like it's true. So thank you so much, Kelly. You're such a blessing. Thanks for having me, Shannon. 
Thanks for joining me for this true story of the beginning series. I hope you'll take some time alone with God and with your Bible open to Genesis 1 through 3. Drink in the true story for yourself, this true story that you're in. Let it reframe your story with the truth. To help you work through this narrative, I've put some tools together for you in my free Live Like It's True workbook. The workbook is particularly designed to help you work through the narratives or the stories in the Bible. It'll help you sort through how the true story of Genesis 1 through 3 refutes the false narratives in the world. You can find a link for your free workbook in the show notes, along with links to some of the various other resources we've been mentioning and recommending. Many of these resources are actually written by our guests in this season, including Nancy Guthrie, Mary Cassian, Courtney Doctor, and more. Are you enjoying this podcast? If so, would you be willing to rate and review? This helps us widen our reach and helps us to serve others as they're able to find the show. Also, if you have questions or ideas for me, I would love to hear from you. Thanks so much to my producer, Maria Lyons, and my son, Cade Popkin, for providing all of the music that you hear here on the show. And thanks most of all to you for tuning in. It is my joy and privilege to serve you. And now it's time to go live like it's true.